This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us are here. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to another edition of the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. I am Paul Pertichese, and thank you for joining me. As always, another week of college football in the books. NFL Week 8 concluding tonight with the Detroit Lions versus the Las Vegas Raiders. A lot to break down here at Saturday to Sunday. Another interesting week of college football. Some performances we need to talk about that could shake up the narrative a little bit surrounding the 2024 NFL Draft. So as always, we're going to get right into the NFL Draft Report for Week 9 of the college football season. We'll start off with our S2S teams of the week and then talk about some other things that really stood out uh, that are impacting the draft stock of certain prospects from this past week. So let's start with the first string quarterback of the week. That's Bo Nix out of Oregon. Oregon beat Utah handedly this past weekend. Bo Nix, 248 yards and two touchdowns. It was one of those games that if he needed to do more, he could have done more, but Oregon comfortably uh, won that football game. The first string running back of the week was Travion Henderson out of Ohio State. He helped them easily beat Wisconsin this past week. 162 yards and one touchdown for Travion Henderson. At the wide receiver position, uh, first string team of the week. New name to the mix here, Lad McConkey out of Georgia. Georgia rolled over the Gators this past weekend. McConkey had six catches, 135 yards and one touchdown. And then the first string tight end of the week. Uh, Bryson Nesbitt, again, out of UNC, his numbers look eerily similar to last week. Three catches, 89 yards, and one touchdown. So let me just kind of go reverse order there. Bryson Nesbitt, again, showing that big play ability from the tight end position. Last week, it was three catches, 93 yards, and a touchdown. This week, 389 and one. That ability to get vertical, attack the seam. Nesbitt is going to be a really intriguing, I think, day two caliber tight end prospect that intrigues NFL teams. With his pass catching ability, his size, his athleticism, his ability to win vertically down the field and be a weapon after the catch as well. Ladd McConkey came into the, the season with a lot of fanfare as a guy who was maybe, in terms of the offensive side of the ball, the most highly regarded you know prospect there for the Bulldogs. Uh, you know, it, he's a guy who I think he's quicker than fast, but I think he's going to run a decent 40 time. He's got really good route running ability. Uh, catches everything that's thrown to him. I, I remember when I was talking about him in the summer, you know, he's one of those guys that I don't think a lot of people, I think people, it was easy to underestimate him a little bit. And then you watch him play, yeah, the size is only average. He definitely could add to that 185 frame, but the athleticism, the speed, the burst, the acceleration, he has all of that. He's got very good m- movement skills. His footwork is is fantastic. In and out of his breaks, uh, you see very clean, Sharp, crisp routes. His route running is good. His separation quickness is good. He's very savvy in terms of his route running. He understands how to vary route tempo and 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 understand the route concepts really well. He shows really good body control and ball skills. Uh, you know, a lot of ability there. A weapon after the catch as well. And he's got great, great hands. Uh, to me, you know, I I comped him in the summer to a more, much more athletic version of Hunter Renfro. Uh. And it obviously might be a little bit of an easy, a little bit of a lazy comp, but but in terms of that footwork and that route running, that's really where I honed in on it. But I do think he's got more big playability, more yak ability, 
uh, where, you know, a guy like Hunter Renfro is more of a, ch- a change mover. You know, Ladd McConkey is a guy who can make things happen and make some big plays. So it was interesting. It was fun to kind of get to see him this past week, you know, have a big impact on that game and, and give me an opportunity to talk about him uh, this week here on the show. Listen, we've talked a lot about the running backs, and it's just an overall down running back class. I really question whether or not we're going to see a running back go in the top 50. I'm sure somebody will make their move up there, test better than expected. But I really don't think anybody's separating themselves. Like Travion Henderson, you know, he's in the mix there, but but so is a lot of other guys. There's nothing about Travion Henderson's game that has dramatically stood out from a lot of other guys, you know, and I think we continue to... It's going to be really interesting to kind of see where the running back landscape goes for this draft class because I feel like we always have had the running back position somewhat solidified in terms of the top of it. Like, we knew Kent Walker and Brees Hall were the two guys two years ago. You know, we knew last year it was B. John and Jameer Gibbs, and then after that we knew, you know, it was A-Chain and, and Charbonnet and Kendra Miller by the time draft weekend rolled around. But this year, I'm not really sure how... You know, we look at it right now, and I think if you ask 10 different evaluators, they'd have a different top five in very, nobody would have the same top five. Some people wouldn't even have the same guys in the top five. There'd be so much uncertainty. So it's going to be interesting to kind of see if, if somebody can finish out the year strong. You know, can Henderson build off of this and, and put together, string together a couple of really impactful games week after week, and, and then maybe see a stock climb when Michigan's schedule starts toughening up? Is that an opportunity for Blake Quorum or Donovan Edwards? It, it's going to be interesting to kind of follow these guys. Same thing with Trey Benson, who we'll get to momentarily a, as well. Uh, and then Bo Nix, we've talked a lot about him this year. Listen, this is a guy who has came such a long way, and you watch him play. And again, I think there's a lot of uncertainty after QB1 and QB2. I think Shady Sanders is going back to school. Uh, Quinn Ewers is, has is not taken the next step to, to be that slam dunk QB3 in this class. Uh, Michael Penix has his fans, but there's some concerns there. Uh, I like Jordan Travis a lot. He just seems like he's very, you know, not highly regarded in the draft circles. Uh, so then you start talking about other guys in the mix, like Bo Nix and, and Tyler Van Dyke is a name, a hot name that I know they've been talking about at the Prospect of Pros podcast over there by The Athletic. And, you know, Bo Nix is right in that mix, but I kind of I kind of agree with the consensus that out there. I think Shadu Sanders is the round one guy. But he's not going to probably come out. I think Drake May and Caleb Williams are locked into the top couple picks. And then I think there's nobody right now that is really a round one caliber guy. I think you could poke, you know, questions in, in the Bo Nixes, the Michael Panics, But it doesn't mean these guys might not get pushed into round one, right? We see it happen every year. I didn't think Kenny Pickett was a round one quarterback. I didn't think Mac Jones was a round one quarterback. I didn't think Daniel Jones at the time was a round one quarterback. And all those guys ended up going round one. So we see it happen every, we see it happen a lot. Uh, the one year, you know, we didn't see more of it was that Malik Willis, you know, Matt Corral, you know, Desmond Ritter. And, and it's it's proved to be true. Like none of those guys have panned out. And even Kenny Pickett, it, you know, looks like he's not going to live up to round one long-term starting caliber expectations. So is Mac Jones. And, and as much as it pains me to say it, you know, probably Daniel Jones on that trajectory as well, even though we thought we saw a step last year. We'll see once he gets back, uh, hopefully soon from this injury, whether or not, you know, he can start looking more like the player that was last year that maybe we thought he could be a long-term starter. There's question marks. And again, it goes back to teams got to ask themselves the question, can this be a difference maker at the position? Because friend of the show who's been a guest on the show, Chris Chipotle, we were talking 
like the list is short of guys that you can think could really, you know, win without elite circumstances around them. The list is very short. And if you're trying to get to a Super Bowl, you really need, you really want that upside to get to that level. And there's so few, right? It's Mahomes, it's Josh Allen, it's Jalen Hurts, uh, it's Joe Burrow, it's Lamar Jackson, maybe Justin Herbert's on, you know, on the doorstep there, but we still got to see it in some big spots. Trevor Lawrence is not there yet. Brock Purdy has, has been brought back to life a little bit the last week, and he's got this great supporting cast around him. Tua, you know, great play caller, a couple great playmakers, but is he ready to take that next step? If you don't have somebody on that upper echelon, until I see somebody regularly winning the Super Bowl that's not from that elite level, I, I think there's question marks. Like, you know, Matthew Stafford was playing at an elite level when, when the Rams won a couple years ago. Uh, we'll see. So I, I think teams are, are getting a little smarter. That doesn't mean you take doesn't take your chance in the second round or third round on some of these guys and see what happens because it's not like a second or third round pick always pans out to be a great player, or even a great starter on your team, or even a good starter. So I understand why teams take your, their chances in those rounds, uh, and, and Knicks will be one of those guys. But it'll be interesting to see if any of these guys do get pushed up uh, to the, to round one mix, you know, once the season's over and the draft process really kicks into high gear. If we take this to the second string team of the week for, for week nine, uh, back to Caleb Williams. I talked a lot about him last week, having some questions, you know, just in terms of like the body language and the demeanor on the sideline. Well, this past week, he leads USC to beat Cal 50-49. to 49. He had four total touchdowns, 369 yards passing, two touching, two passing touchdowns, two rushing touchdowns. Uh, again, there could be question marks that arise during this, you know, span of this season. There'll be question marks in the off, in the, you know, in the pre-draft months. But Caleb Williams is still a very special talent, uh, and he's going to be the first or second pick in the draft. Like, there's no way about it. Maybe some team falls in love with Drake May and, He's more to prototypical size and, and frame, and, and maybe that's something. But I still think Caleb Williams is going to be the first quarterback taken or a team will trade up, even if it's a team that doesn't need a quarterback. I, I'd be stunned still if Caleb Williams is not that guy. Uh, second string running back of the week. I mentioned him before, Trey Benson out of Florida State. Florida State rolled over Wake Forest. What I thought was interesting is Trey Benson only had 55 yards rushing and one touchdown, but he chipped in four catches, 100 yards, and a touchdown. You know, showing versatility, you know, uh, I think it's critical to these running backs. And Benson has not been a guy who's produced any passing, you know, statistics, really receiving statistics, I should say. So even to have that, to show that, I think is important for some of these running backs to kind of differentiate themselves when, when you know, at least show that they can be functional in that regard. And I think that's what Benson, you know, wants to do, you know, and this performance kind of helps him aiding in that. And then the second string wide receiver of the week, uh, back to Marvin Harrison. It's tough not to have him on this list every single week. Six catches, 123 yards, and two touchdowns. And then the second string tight end of the week, Theo Johnson out of Penn State. Two catches, 21 yards, and a touchdown. I bring him up because he's a guy that, you know, we talked about in the summer. We talked about him last year. NFL is kind of intrigued with him, the size, the frame, the athleticism, the movement skills. This year he's got 20 catches, 227 yards, and three touchdowns. Uh, they have another tight end there, uh, Warren, who's another guy who could be on the draft radar. But my guess is he kind of goes back to school uh, once Theo, you know, goes into the NFL. I think Theo Johnson's an interesting guy. Like, we know what the top of the tight end market looks like with Brock Bowers uh, and Jatavian Sanders. But then, like, kind of when you get past those guys, 
you know, I, I do think it kind of, you know, we have the, the Cade Stovers and the Ben Sinnets and the Bryson Nesbits of the world. Those are my three, four, five. You know, but Theo Johnson, you know, I think somewhere in that six to eight, six to nine range with with the ability to move up into the, even that six range for me, I think, based on what we've seen this year, uh, is something that intrigues me. So he's an interesting name that teams are not looking at him. Same way no one was really talking about Luke Schoonmaker last year as a round three, you know, at the end of even go around two. But no one was even thinking about him as a day two tight end prospect during the season. And then in the pre-draft months, he started to hear more buzz. I could see Theo Johnson kind of having that same similar archetype. You know, Brenton Strange went in round two. So, like, if Brenton Strange and Luke Schoonmaker go in round two, I, I think there's a upward mobility for a guy like Theo Johnson who's got the size, who's got the frame, who's got the athleticism measurables to maybe move his way uh, into that round three, early round four mix. Uh, other guys and the storylines that that I want to touch upon, I kind of talked about all the guys in, in that. So I don't think I have to go through anybody else from the second string. Uh, Riley Leonard out of Duke, you know, 1,100 yards for the year, three touchdowns, three injuries. I know he suffered that injury a couple weeks back, and then it wasn't as serious as we thought. But this is a guy that some people thought could push for round one, if not early round two. And now, like, I'm not sure where his draft stock is. Like, right now, I would say eight, nine, 10, 11 quarterbacks that maybe have kind of leapfrogged him. When I last did my rankings, I had him all the way now as my 14th quarterback in this draft eligible. Some of these guys might not come out, uh, but I had him all the way down now at 14. And I just think it's been a really poor uh, year for him. Has not stood out. I think NFL teams might still be a little bit more intrigued with him, but I just haven't seen anything. Uh, you know, when I've gotten a chance to watch him play recently, that makes me think this is the guy who warrants being the top 50, top 80 pick in, in the NFL draft, you know, developmental, you know, Dave Free type guy, sure. You know, maybe if he finishes the year strong, he can work his way back into the day two mix. But I, I think he would have to finish the year really strong uh, for him to start being considered in that mix again. Other guys that I want to talk about that weren't on the SS team in the weeks, Devin Neal out of Kansas. Uh, Kansas upsets Oklahoma. Neal, big reason why, 112 yards and a rushing touchdown. Neal's put together a really strong year. So we talk about some of the running backs that haven't lived up to the hype. I think Devin Neal is a guy who has far surpassed expectations. A guy, him and, you know, Audrey Asim out of Notre Dame are, are the two of the top names that I need to get into the scouting notebook uh, when I get a chance to start adding some players to that because Neal... And and Audrey Steam, I think, are two running backs that could very much now have thrown themselves into the mix here in the top five, top ten running backs in this draft class. Uh, so I kind of want to get a, a little bit of a deeper dive in Devin Neal and Asim out of Notre Dame. And then at the wide receiver position, uh, Troy Franklin continues. Uh, you know, I talked about Bo Nix before. Troy Franklin, I think, continues to elevate his draft stock securely into the day two mix. Seven catches, 99 yards, and a touchdown. And I'll bring him up again because he's always going to be a favorite of mine. Anaya Smith out of Texas A&M. He helped them beat South Carolina. Six catches, 118 yards, and one touchdown. When it, when it comes time more for the pre-draft months, Anaya Smith is going to be one of my sleepers. He's going to be a guy that I think he arguably has the best movement skills of anybody in college football. Uh, you know, you know, I was a big fan of Devin A. Chain coming out of Texas A&M last year. Uh, and I've been a big fan of Anaya Smith for quite some time. I, I know the luster is, is kind of off of him right now. Uh, but I think he's a guy that is going to be really intriguing. His movement skills, his ability uh, to make plays happen in the open field. I think he could be an electric returner if asked that and just be a guy that you could do a lot of different things with. Teams are looking for players like that. 
Uh, I'm still in on the Aeneas Smith bandwagon, uh, and it's nice to see when he pops up with a big game here. I think NFL teams are going to be intrigued with his, you know, versatile skill set. I still think he might go a little bit higher than people even think once, you know, we get into the pre-draft months, the testing, and, and, and more people start talking about him for sure. If we take this to the Debbie slant for this week, two names that I want to talk about that, that I thought stood out this week. Uh, one, I already mentioned that Cal-USC game, but Jaden Ott was the star for, for California. He had 21 carries, 153 yards, and three touchdowns. I think now you have the you have the Penn State under non uh, draft eligible underclassmen running backs in, in Nicholas Singleton and Katron Allen, but I think Jane Ott is right there uh, with those two guys as the best three non draft eligible running backs in Debbie right now. I'd want to get my hands on Jane Ott if I could uh, because I think he's only going to continue to see his stock soar. Uh, I think he's got a real chance in his draft class to be the first or second running back taken. Uh, and, and I would want to try to be aggressive, seeing if I can get him on my team now. And then at the wide receiver position, we've talked a lot about Luther Burden. We've talked about Evan Stewart. We've talked about this guy once or twice already, but Tep McMillan out of Arizona, eight catches, 80 yards, and a touchdown this past week. You know, guys don't move as fluidly, you know, as he does at six foot five, 210. The, the catch radius, the ability to go up and high point it, the ball skills, the body control. Uh, Tep McMillan, I think, you know, He's going to be a guy who's very much in the mix to be one of the top wide receivers in the 2025 NFL draft when he is draft eligible. So there it is, guys, a quick look at the college football world from this past week. Let's spin this over to the NFL and uh, talk about a little bit of an NFL rookie report for week seven and then a little bit of the NFL fantasy dynasty report. Let's start with the NFL rookie report. Uh, Bryce Young and TJ Stroud met this past week. Uh, and Carolina was able to upset uh, Houston, who had been playing really well. Bryce Young, I think, played his most steady game, I think, as a pro. 22 of 31, 235 yards and one touchdown. Uh, Carolina made a, a change in terms of uh, offensive play caller. I don't know if that had anything to do with it. Uh, you know, But there was also just an opportunity, I think, as the year goes on, we'll start to see a little bit more of the Bryce Young that I, that I think we thought. Listen, I still am a believer in Bryce Young. His his ability to solve problems on the football field, I think, was one of his best traits and calling cards while he was in college. And I still think he's probably getting acclimated to the NFL. Uh, he doesn't have those natural raw tools that sometimes are just going to wow you and stand out, uh, you know. But but I thought it was I thought it was interesting to kind of see things looked a little bit slower for him, uh, you know, this past week. And obviously, the biggest quarterback story I wanted to start with the Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud math. Matchup, but the biggest storyline is obviously Will Levis in his debut, throwing four touchdowns. The forgotten man from this draft class. You know, most people thought he was going to be around one pick. He was another guy that I thought was more of a round two talent. Thought he was going to get pushed into round one. He actually didn't. Fell to round two. But you know, it, a quite the performance to start out his NFL career. And I think what you're going to realize with Will Levis is he's got all the arm talent in the world to make any throw, and he is not going to be afraid to make it. He is going to push the ball vertically down the field. He's going to trust his arm that he could fit it into some tight windows. Uh, and he instantly created a, a rapport with, with DeAndre Hopkins this past week, and he really kind of throws a new kind of, you know, buzz and, and life into that Titans, you know, team base that looked like they were just kind of spinning their wheels a little bit with Ryan Tannehill and, you know, at this point now, I, I think it's this got to be Will Levis's job. For for better or worse, let him grow, let him development, uh, develop and, and see what the kid can offer. 
but really impressive debut performance from him and just the ability and the willingness to push it vertically and, and not be timid in his first NFL start. I thought it spoke volumes about the kid's character and just the way he plays. He's going to be who he is. And he at times it might look a little reckless uh, and a little inconsistent, but that's who he is. And he's going to trust that he can make any throw and he's going to give his wide receivers a chance. And sometimes that's fun to watch. Uh, you know, so it, it was fun to see that. Running backs continue to, you know, listen, besides talking about B. John Robinson, there's just really not a lot to talk about in terms of the rookies. Uh, B. John did get his first rushing touchdown this week and was back in the mix. Still don't think they're using him nearly as much as they should. Uh, Jameer Gibbs is, is set to kick off, you know, tonight and see what kind of workload he gets. Uh, but the rest of the running backs, you know, we're waiting on Devin A. Chain and the explosive ability that he showed in those three games. Uh, prior to getting injured, we're waiting to see him get back out there. Uh, Kendra Miller is not really a part of things. And, and the rest of the running backs, uh, the rookie running backs, you just really bit players or, or barely even playing, to be honest with you. For taking to the pass catchers, let's start with Dalton Kincaid continuing his breakout. With Dawson Knox injured, he's really morphed in now to a critical part of that Buffalo Bills passing offense. Uh, last Thursday night, five catches, 65 yards, and a touchdown. Again, He's going to, he, if he's not already, he's going to morph into their second option long-term on that team. He's going to be a guy that, you know, even if when the time settles that, you know, Stefan Diggs is not the number one wide receiver there, Dalton Kincaid's going to be one of the focal points of that offense. They'll obviously look to replace Stefan Diggs with another talented wide receiver, but Dalton Kincaid, I think, is always going to be on the trajectory to be the number two type focal point of the pass offense there in Buffalo with Josh Allen. I think that's what they envisioned when they took Dalton Kincaid. And we're starting to see him morph into that player that so many people love coming out and then love the pairing when he ended up going to Buffalo. Uh, so it's nice to see him kind of breaking out there after a little bit of a slow start. Him and Laporta really adding a little something to the, the tight end mix in fantasy. And we'll see if Michael Mayer and Luke Musgrave can really make it a elite, elite fantasy tight end draft class with four guys that maybe can morph into top 10, top 12 guys. We're already there on Kincaid and Laporta. Uh, you know, we're talking about two guys that might be already warranted to be top six in Dynasty, and two other guys maybe just sitting there outside of the top 10. Uh, as we talked about last year, we thought it could have been a historic class at the tight end position, and it's looking like it will be. At the wide receiver position, Jordan Addison continuing to uh, take advantage of the additional targets going his way with the Justin Jefferson injury. Seven catches, 82 yards, and a touchdown. But unfortunately, Kirk Cousins torn Achilles out the year. That is going to really put dampers on that Minnesota pass game. But I am excited to see rookie Jerron Hall. He was a guy that I was much higher on than the consensus. Uh, So obviously hate to see Kirk Cousins injury. Going to be a free agent. But it's going to be interesting to kind of see how Jaron Hall looks in this offense. Can he keep their pass catchers afloat? Does Justin Jefferson come back? You know, a young quarterback doesn't usually walk into a situation where you're going to have Justin Jefferson, Jordan Addison, and TJ Hawkinson. You know, that is a pristine setup for a young player uh, trying to get acclimated to the NFL to have those weapons once Justin Jefferson gets back. Josh Downs continues to show why I loved him coming out and why I thought he was right there on the same level as Jordan Addison and Zay Flowers. Seven catches, 72 yards. He's already became better than I even thought he was going to transition to the NFL game. And yeah, while he might be slot only, this is a guy who I think could easily be a 90 to 100 catch wide receiver in the NFL. His route running, his ability to separate, 
I'm, I really love what we're seeing out of Jordan Downs. He com- uh, Josh Downs, he compliments Michael Pittman perfectly. Uh, and it's fun kind of get, watching him. It's unfortunate that's not Anthony Richardson because I'd like to see them kind of develop that rapport uh, for next year. But right now, Gardner Minshew is feeding Josh Down targets and because he warrants them. And, and I think that's who Josh Downs is. Who eventually, he's going to warrant them from Anthony Richardson as well. And then Quinton Johnson, five catches, 50 yards. Still just hasn't taken advantage of Mike Williams being out the season. Josh Palmer still seems to be the guy uh, who Justin Herbert looks to. I know Quinton Johnson's numbers this past week uh, were better than Josh Palmer's, but you know it, when you're taking first in the first round, uh, the expectations are higher. And right now, he still still he still seems behind Josh Palmer, and doesn't seem like that's going to change. And it's some of the concerns that I had about Quinton Johnson. How is this game going to translate to the next level? He didn't play as a big guy. He played as a smaller guy in a big person's body. And I had a lot of question marks when she took him out of the Big 12 and, and the no defenses and the defenders, you know, just aren't playing a lot of defense. And right now it's been a slow get for him, even though the opportunity has been there for him uh, to seize that role as the second wide receiver behind Keenan Allen. And if we take this to the NFL Fantasy Dynasty report for this week. Not a lot to talk about. I didn't think anything really stood out. The couple of things I did want to talk about were a guy that, you know, I was very high on for years, told everybody to go by. It looked like a genius move. But right now, Tony Pollard is just not playing like the guy that we saw last year and the year before when I was so high on him. He stepped into the role there. Dallas has had a lot of weird games. But even with that, like we've seen very few explosive plays from Tony Pollard. Uh, it's going to be really interesting because I thought he was going to have a great year this year and he was going to kind of force Dallas's hands to maybe give him that contract because he's a guy who doesn't have a lot of tread on the tires. Explosive player. They don't have a lot of explosive players besides C.D. Lamb that I thought he was going to make it really hard for them to maybe move on. Now, I don't I don't know where Tony Pollard sits, right? Does he, does he get the free agency? If so, what kind of contract does he get if he continues to play like he is right now and not be a guy who we thought was on trajectory to be a superstar. And if he doesn't get some great free agent deal, and he's not a, a clear focal point of an offense like he was supposed to be this year, what does that do to his dynasty value, right? He was in most people's top six, top eight running backs, and I think he's probably still there in dynasty. But the question is, is you know, there's more uncertainty now than ever, to be frankly honest with you, like that you got to have guys like Jameer Gibbs and Travis Etienne and Josh Jacobs and Kenneth Walker all over him. And I think right now with how he's performing, even though Austin Eckler is much older, I think you got to have Austin Eckler over him. And then I think you, you, you know, when I do my next update, I think I'm going to take Tony Pollard and send them down to 11. And that puts him right ahead of guys like Devin A-Chain, who, listen, I love Devin A-Chain, but we still got to see if he can hold up and what type of workload he could have. Uh, and then we talked about those other, that next group of guys, Ramondre Stevenson, Javante Williams, James Cook, DeAndre Swift, just question marks with all of those guys. Uh, so I think that's something where right now, Tony Pollard, there's just no way around it is his stock is way down. Uh, he hasn't lived up to expectations this year and, and it's going to be interesting to kind of see, uh, you know, if, and when he can and, and what that looks like, because I think right now, uh, there's a lot of question marks about him and, and I'm not sure that we're going to get any definitive answers if he continues you know, to, to kind of play like he is right now. And, and, you know, he just hasn't looked like the same guy. And whether that's him, whether it's the old line, whatever the case may be, you know, I'm not sure. 
So stock down him. Jonathan Taylor, I don't look his best he's been since he came back. Uh, he had like 12 carries for like 95 yards and then never got the ball again, which was really, really, really strange. Uh, but I still think he's in the mix there. Top five overall dynasty running back. It was good to see him look as explosive as he has all year. Uh, and then A.J. Brown, man, continues to just absolutely dominate it. And I think the question starts to become now is, you know, we talk for most of this offseason, it was Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase. They're a clear one, two at the top of dynasty wide receiver rankings. And part of it's their um, otherworldly talent, their age, you know, and A.J. Brown was in that next group. But I'm starting to wonder if A.J. Brown deserves warrant and consideration with that those top two guys. And that should be a tier of three or, you know, based on his age and stuff like does does A.J. Brown still in that mix with. Amon Ross St. Brown, C.D. Lamb, and then a couple older guys like Tyree Kill, Stefan Diggs, and Cooper Cup. I think it's an interesting conversation, but he just continues to dominate. You know, obviously that trade by the Eagles set up a lot for them. It was a brilliant move. It's still one of the most puzzling moves by Tennessee. You know, A.J. Brown is the dream scenario when you draft the guy in the second round. And he turns into that, like in a legit elite alpha number one wide receiver. And then for them to move on and then take Traylon Burks, who I like Traylon Burks, but not on the same stratosphere as A.J. Brown, who was my number one wide receiver coming out that year. Uh, I, it was such a baffling move. And to this day, I still don't understand it because this is exactly what you want when you draft the guy in the second round. You want him to materialize into literally an all-pro, elite-level, top-five wide receiver in the National Football League. And A.J. Brown was doing that, and they chose to trade him away and not give him that second contract. And it, it's going to be a move that I think they regret you know, for quite some time there as he continues to dominate you know, now in Philadelphia. That was really all I had this week. I didn't think there was a lot of major storylines. I think the Tony Pollard one is pretty significant. Uh, so I wanted to spend some time talking about that as well. So there it is, guys. NFL Fantasy Dynasty Report for week eight of the of the NFL season and the NFL, you know, uh, rookie report as well. And then obviously the NFL draft report and Debbie slant for week nine of the college football season. If you're enjoying this content, please get over to the website, rate, review, uh, subscribe wherever you listen to the podcast. Check out our premium content tab over on the website, SS Football, and see if you want to potentially purchase the premium content for $9.99. It is the best way to support the show. We hope if you've been a longtime listener but never purchased notebooks, you consider it. Uh, it really does help us continue to do here what we do at Saturday to Sunday. You get the scouting notebook, which has almost 100 detailed player profiles. A variety of guys who are draft eligible. You get the rankings notebook, all our different rankings, tiers, and then you get the NFL draft projections notebook in April as well. So, on behalf of our sound tech engineer, David Nakano, and myself, thank you for joining us, and we look forward next time taking you from Saturday to Sunday. <laughs>